Wow, I have no idea where my sound went all of a sudden, but I could not actually hear the intro music. So uh, hopefully we're all live and uh, the sound is working out for you, but uh, I wasn't getting anything back there. So um, we are blessed today to have what Forbes called the number one customer experience turnaround expert. I don't know, do they say planet? Do they say the galaxy? I can't remember. It was it was monstrous and uh, well-deserved billing at minimum, certainly somebody who has been a thought leader in the customer experience space forever. Um, five or so best-selling books, really accessible books. If you have not read the work of Micah Solomon, you just you don't have an insight into how to really get things clear and moving in your organization when it comes to customer service. Without further ado, the great Micah Solomon. Good to have you on. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Michelli. Hey, it's a, it's a pleasure. How's things on the island there outside of Seattle? <laughs> oh, they're great. There couldn't be a better place to quarantine. You know, I used to I work at the, the Pike Place Fish Market and would travel and all those ferries out to all the islands and, you know, just thought about what it'd be like to live like Micah Solomon. But, uh, hey, we well, can't uh, all be here. You've written about that. You actually worked there? Oh, yeah. Worked for the Pike Place Fish Market. Worked for Johnny. Oh, you did? Yeah, yeah back in the day. Because you wrote a book about the fish throwers, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I kept just trying to hang out in Seattle with any excuse I could. Let's talk about you. Let's talk about no, 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 a little more on you. No, so, no, no. Um, one of our one of our pleasures when our kids were little, I think we honestly enjoyed them more than they did. Were the Veggie Tales movies, oh, yeah. and uh, the the best one by far, I thought, was the one about Jonah. And um, when Jonah go to, they call it something else, but it's when Jonah when the the pirates uh, end up in um, what they it's a like lighter version of Sodom and Gomorrah. The um, the bad people there are the fish slappers. I don't know why, but that's one of the bad things they do. So I thought of the Pike Place fish bar as just anyway. All right, let's talk about. Yeah, no, I, I love Veggie Tales. I miss the fish slappers, and I'm glad they toned down Sodom and Gomorrah for the kids. All right, all that said, <laughs> let's get you to your book. Uh, yeah, you you have a. It's going to be re-released now in paperback, paperback, paperback in August. So if I'm going to be accessible a paperback enough, writer, that's good. I never have had. I don't think I've had that pleasure. But anyway, let's go to the to the book itself. Um, this is something that I think is a must read for everybody. Ignore your customers and they'll go away is its title. Let's talk a little bit about where this book fits in your your dossier of writing, Micah. <laughs> well, unlike you, Dr. Michelli, who uh, cover a wide range of topics, I kind of have one. <laughs> and, I, and, I, and I lovingly cover it from different angles. So um, my first book, Exceptional Service, Exceptional Profit, was rather similar to yours, the new gold standard. They both were heavily inspired by the methodology of the Ritz-Carlton. Wow, you guys are good. Um, the methodology of the Ritz-Carlton Hotel Company. Um, so that's what that focused on. Um, then I have another one called The Heart of Hospitality, which uh, the Ritz-Carlton uh, was, you know how wonderful they are. They were of all the hotel companies the most open to letting me travel there. I mean, what a nice, what nice work if you can get it right and uh, have experiences there and talk with their um, their experts and but other wonderful small and large companies, not just in lodging but also uh, restaurateurs. Danny Meyer was fantastic. Uh, um, 
so, but, but that was uh, hospitality industry leaders for hospitality. But I will tell you, and uh, you can back me up on this. We get a lot, you and I, I think we get a lot more people wanting to become the Ritz Carlton of banking than we ever get wanting to turn us into the Wachovia of hotels, right? <laughs> because the hospitality industry is already doing it, right? I mean, you walk into a courtyard by Marriott or a, even generally a, a Motel 6 by and large, um, that might be an extreme example, but, but by and large, they're doing it right. There's a smiling person who really wants to take care of you. It may not be the same um, in some other industries. So this book, Ignore Your Customers and They'll Go Away, takes from the best, um, and often the best are in hospitality, but the best in any industry, and then applies it to any industry. And um, one thing I'm pleased with is that um, at the end of each chapter, there's a, um, a cheat sheet. So Get to the point, Micah. That's what it's called. <laughs> I'm, not, exactly. I'm not rushing you in the interview. That's what it's called. No, no, that's great. So if you don't, I would prefer if you read the whole chapter, and there's lots of, I think, fun anecdotes and stuff. But if that's not your style, you can go right to the cheat sheet. And then, because my friend uh, Seth Godin, have you had him on the show yet? Not uh, Seth yet, no. Uh, he has endorsed a book of mine back in the I days of Poke the Box or whatever it was called. Yeah, So, but I haven't had him on. Excellent. So, so Seth has great ideas. And one of the things he says um, is that uh, a book to, for a book to be more than a souvenir, um, you want to have people enjoy it together uh, and learn from it together. So I put a reading group guide at the end of each chapter with my hope being that, um, at work, you'll get together and you'll use these prompts, which I wrote, um, which, you know, somebody as a publisher didn't write or whatever. I'm sure they would have done a good job, but I wrote these prompts and then um, you'll, you'll get together and learn it. And by the way, unofficial offer, if you buy, I think it has to be either a crap ton or maybe it's a metric crap ton of, um, and that's ton with a T-O-N-N-E of books. I will host your book club for free, free if you buy all those books. Wow. Um, Good. It's yeah. just you have They're to you have to calculate. Me, you have to translate crap load and ton of into an actual yeah, quantifiable right, right, number, exactly. which I'm sure is available somewhere on his website, exactly. which I have been exactly. so terribly remiss to not put up there. What an indirect way of telling me <laughs> make sure they know where the website is so they can calculate a crap load of books. All right. So this book, uh, just to kind of make it really clear, it takes a lot of those sort of what hospitality does innately great and makes it accessible to everybody, every business, no matter where it is. There's a kind of cheat sheet summary at the end of each chapter for those who like to jump ahead. You even talk about people being able to read from the back of the book. This book oh, isn't yeah. necessarily chronological in its need. All these content areas are relevant, though. I do like the way it builds uh, on itself. But suffice it to say, there's, there's the ability to kind of pick your journey with this book, uh, depending upon the depths of reading you want to do how you summarize to write one of those like a uh, pick your adventure book wouldn't that be fun I, I tried once i one of my early books i said okay now you can either go to chapter 7 or chapter 12 or uh, and then my my better avoid chapter 11 my, <laughs> my my editor thought this was about as crazy as i go so uh, we went more conventional um, as you say. I think the biggest thing we ever did that was really bold was we put QR codes in a book a long, long time ago in the Zappos yeah. book. And so nice. people could take their camera in the day when people didn't know how to use QR codes in their camera and they could take a physical book and then go to a virtual place. It was a, 
it was before its time, I'd like to say. All right. Yeah, QR, uh, codes, QR codes after being a joke have finally taken off during COVID. It's funny. It is true. I mean, if I, we did it now, no one would balk. But you know what I'm saying. There's a time and place for everything. And both of us did release books around about January-ish time frame. Mine was, I think, in December of last year, uh, before COVID. So in December of 2019, yours was January 2020. Right, right about um, the same time, yeah. Yeah. And, you know, it was, a, it was a miserable time to get books out in the market. We were doing Airbnb at the time, which is a whole different hospitality brand oh, than yeah. the Ritz-Carlton. But let's, let's, uh, let's go through this book. Let's uh, kind of take it one step at a time, I'll pop you up there, make sure that I have the right book up there. Everybody's following along at home uh, with us. So this is the book we're gonna be talking about, Ignore Your Customers. We got people jumping in on the line already to talk about stuff. Michael, we haven't even said anything and people are talking. Here, Bill Lampton, PhD, which means Bill's really smart. And he's also a communication expert, by the way. I like customer care instead of customer service because we know people can serve without caring for us. Customer care is the top level of customer interactions. So, interesting kind of point here uh, out of nowhere while I get to your book. What do you think about word choices on customer care, customer service, customer experience? What, what does all that mean to you? Well, hi, Bill. I think the words that you use with customers matter a lot. However, I have tried to not get involved in the choice between customer experience and customer service, I find that interesting to about eight of us. And I, I, try, I, I, I try to stay out of it. Oh my goodness, That I am one of the eight. I am one of the true loving eight. Hold on, I gotta get myself back on screen. This is the challenge <laughs> of putting your book up there all the time, is that then I my head runs into your book. Um, so yeah, I think you're right. That, but customer success, people use lots of different words in this space. All right, to the book. I mean, the hard, is, the hard thing about it is we need it. You and I need to use all of it for SEO reasons. So there's, that's the tricky part. That is also complicated. Like you want to be number one in customer service, customer success, customer experience. It's kind of crazy. All right. So the book, ignore your customers and they'll go away. Um, we'll pop it up so many times. You'll be, definitely have this drilled into your brain. But in it, um, some of the big concepts and the kind of the build, even though you can take it in any direction you want, the build really starts with kind of, appreciating customer service culture. And if I if I kind of go back, you talk about Nordstrom's and the do it now mindset, and there's a ton of stuff in there that really kind of gets people socialized to what does it mean to be world's best in customer service. And, and you also talk a lot about coming into organizations who might've been pretty good at it one time, but have started to lose their footing. Uh, do you want to kind of orient us all to, to that conversation about world's best and the journey up and down there? So, as you mentioned, Inc. Magazine called me the world's number one customer service turnaround expert, but then they very amusingly brought me down to size. They mentioned they hadn't met any others, so I guess I'm a category of one, which means maybe I'm also the world's worst. But what I do is I come into companies uh, that want to improve, want to polish, want to become even better. The thing, and maybe you've met, noticed this as well, is that people never hire us. I see people, companies almost never hire me that are terrible. So, and this is just to throw two representative names out, and this are not like necessarily actual examples, but I would expect Southwest to call me, but I will never expect a call from Spirit because Spirit Airline has figured out another way to make a buck, right? But Southwest knows the value of customer service already. So the thing is, what you're talking about, about coming into a company, yes. So I will get a call um, 
and I will um, in in the in the guru cave, which is like the bat cave, and I will go down the guru pole, which is like the bat pole, um, but for consultants. And usually the call has come in from a company that started out with fantastic customer service. And then, um, oh, you know what? I hear the phone right now and it is spirit. So they take it back. <laughs> My mistake. Yeah, but um, when you answer, you'll be on hold for about an hour. Sorry. <laughs> That's right. And it'll be put in a quarter for the toilet. So, uh, so <laughs> you're quick. Do you want me to get some change? I, I think I have change if you're in need. <laughs> excellent. Excellent. <laughs> and yeah. So, Often it will have come in from a company that started out with a fantastic customer service uh, reputation, but things have slipped. And so I'll come, and so they want to bring things back up to speed. So often what I'll find, in fact, almost invariably, I will find that the touches that they did at the beginning have fallen off. They have started to trust their marketing department and their sales department and their existing reputation to sell for them they've started to believe in the infinite supply of customers. But as my buddy Leonardo, who co-wrote my first book with me, said um, that if you start to believe that, um, if you, I'm sorry, if you, uh, you have to believe every customer is irreplaceable. If the moment you stop believing that, we can draw you a chart of when your company is going to have no customers anymore. So you have to believe every customer is irreplaceable. Um, so these companies have stopped believing that. They stopped handwriting thank you notes. I mean, if that's the kind of company you ever were, um, they've stopped handwriting thank you notes. The managers hide in the back office and shuffle paperwork. Certainly if there's an upset customer, the managers are nowhere to be seen uh, and, and, and on and on and on. So that's usually what I'll find. Uh, and uh, their hiring practices, a slip up they're they're over they're they're getting lax in who they're hiring so those are the kind of things i'll find and then the cultural issues will slip as well they will allow bullying in places that they wouldn't have allowed before not only bullying of customers bullying of employees and bullying of vendors one of the things you probably read in um Tony's book, Delivering Happiness, was that one of the other guys who started Zappos, and Zappos wasn't started by one person, but one of the other gentlemen who who co-founded Zappos, uh, he had come from another company where vendors were mistreated, and he promised that Zappos wouldn't be like that. So um, uh, bullying of vendors would have commenced. And so those yeah, would I be think the was, I think it was Fred them. Mosler, and I think he had I think that's right. Yeah, and I think that he did a lot of work with shoe uh, vendors, and the whole business model was to try to get over on them and to try to hide information and get the best pricing out of the vendor, and and the the whole goal was to exploit the vendor so you could somehow come out whole for your company and maybe for the customer in the end. And um, you know, Zappos, I think as you you write a lot about Wow Companies, and you I, you've written plenty about how they do it. Um, but yeah, I think they just kind now, of realized of vendors, you know, being vendors part, being part of Amazon, you know, all bets are off. But yeah. Yeah. Though though I think they did leave them alone for a goodly enough amount of time for them to continue to maintain this culture, which is really where okay. we started this. I mean, the beauty of it, take a Ritz Carlton, take an Amazon, take any of the brands that really either hold on to the world class type of world best kind of thing or don't 
you know, that don't degrade it for sure are ones that really are committed to things that you talk about. Like you spend a lot of times with that yes culture, right? That yes attitude. And what happens when your yes attitude runs into the realities of business operation? Can you talk mm -hmm. a little bit about the, you know, you know, no matter what the question is, kind of the answer is yes mindset? Yeah, so you brought up Nordstrom uh, in passing. So if you walk into a Nordstrom, and I know everybody has their exception, but if you walk into a Nordstrom on a good day, there's a bunch of smiling people. And yes, let's let let me. Uh, well, Dr. Fauci wouldn't want me touching my face, but let's uh, let's pretend this is a mask. Darn it! I wish I had one. You can still, if your resolution is is high enough, you can still tell I'm smiling, right? Um. So there's a bunch of smiling people and they are just dying to answer your question with a yes or get you what you want even before they hear what the question is. So that's what I call a default of yes. A decision they've already made that the answer is going to be yes. They just need to find out what the question is. So to continue with uh, Nordstrom as an example. So I have a salesperson at Nordstrom her name is Joanne Hassis, and she is, I've measured it. I mean, I didn't measure it with my yardstick, but I measured it on Google Maps. She is now 3,004 mi miles away from me, but I still use her. She's still back in the, the Philadelphia area where we used to live, but, I, uh, but I, I'll never switch. So I like, this is a long sleeve shirt, but I, I usually like short sleeve shirt, uh, short sleeve button down shirts. I don't know if I have a fantasy that, that I could, if I was older, I could have worked at NASA in the 60s or what, why I like those, but that's what I like. Do you and also get the pocket protector too? Or how far do you go in this uh, fantasy of yours? I'm sorry, go ahead. <laughs> no pocket protector, but I do like to have a, a pocket there. Yeah. <laughs> yes, exactly. This slide rule, definitely, definitely. <laughs> All right, go ahead. You, We digress. So, uh, yeah, so, so I called Joanne and I said, Joanne, I'm, my shirts are getting a little ragged. I'd like to buy a few more. And she said, Micah, I got some really bad news for you. I was like, oh no. She said, our supplier has actually gone out of business. We can't provide them for you anymore. But can you give me 24 hours? So I was like, sure. This is not a short, this is not a short sleeve shirt emergency. Take 25 hours, it'll be fine. So she called me back probably in 20 hours and she said, Micah, have you heard of Brooks Brothers? I'm like, yeah, of course. So Brooks Brothers was like an in the blood competitor. I, but uh, yes, I had heard of them. She said, well, do you mind co-browsing with me? So we go over to the Brooks Brothers site. She finds the exact page where they offer a reasonably similar, wasn't quite the same, but reasonably slim, similar short sleeve shirt. So I buy them. They're fine. Of course, Joanne doesn't make a sale. Her friends, she is friends with them. The, the Nordstrom's, you know, they, they didn't make any money off the sale. Joanne didn't make a commission. But the company, I'm sure, was happy because she kept the customer. I've mentioned her in, I think, three books. And um, she got to the yes, right? She got to the yes. So... And, and you hear these stories. I heard a story, maybe Shep told this one, about going into uh, 
Whole, Whole Foods, and this happened to him, or he watched it happen to another customer, where um, they were out of whipped cream, and the guy working there said, hey, do you have 10 minutes? Just go do some more shopping. When the guy came back, the gentleman behind the counter had whipped some cream for him. So, you know, getting to the, getting to the yes, whatever it takes. Now, you know, I do some work with car dealerships, as I'm sure you have, and sometimes customers expect the most unrealistic yeses. They want $20,000 off you know, they just don't understand this idea of margin. It's a $80,000 car, so they think they could get $20,000 off when the dealer's margin is only, let's say, 2000 So when you start there, it can be kind of demoralizing for the staff. But as long as you understand that no is a dead end, but here's what we can do keeps the channel of communication open, then I think you're still working with this default of yes. You know, it's interesting because, uh, you know, the Ritz-Carlton, it's easy for them to say yes because they can play the margins, right? Uh, I remember talking That's, to Simon Cooper. Simon Cooper was the CEO at the time. We were we were working together and oh, he, yeah. Oprah had just gone to Denver. They reflagged a Denver property to be a Ritz-Carlton and John Elway put his, you know, his uh, kitchen down there inside of the building. And, and Oprah wanted the executive suite during the Obama first inauguration. And um, she didn't, they had just reconfigured the executive suite and she, her advanced team came in and said, no, we've got to take out that wall. We've got to take out that wall. Oh, really? suit over. And they've just like done this, but, but they could say yes to that because they knew they would charge heaven and earth moving fees to Oprah and her team to get that reconstituted and then put back to normal. Most brands do have limited margin. And so the yes may be different. It's like, what yeah. can you say yes to, right? I mean, that's the. The big point there, you may not be able to say yes to re redoing this executive suite, but you can say yes to some things that would surprise and delight people or wow them, which is a big part of your thing. But let's get to, I forgot her name now because we've been talking too much. What was the name of the lady from Nordstrom? Joanne Hassis. Okay. H-A-S-S. I'm not going to poach her from you. She's your shirt lady. But Joanne, the whole point. Believe me. Like everyone right now, she needs more business. She's all yours. Uh, but but what I am trying to get at, really, if I can get it get there, is that recruiting the Joannes of the world, selecting the Joannes of the world, mm. and nurturing her so she stays with you instead of goes and takes a job somewhere else who promises her all kinds of benefits. How do you do that? Because that's a whole section of your book. I think I'm actually, these words are yours, recruiting, selecting, and nurturing the team. Those are all yours. So talk to me about it. Well, let's start with recruiting and so let's start with selecting. So you want to bring some science to this. And the best way to bring science is to use the work of scientists, which I'm not, you are, I'm not. But there are companies out there, which I mentioned some of them in the book, th that can provide you with a scientific approach to doing it. If you're not going to hire one of these companies, let me give you a quasi-scientific set of traits that by and large will will be possessed by a, an a potential employee who will be good working with customers. Are you ready? Yep. So you will never forget this once I teach it to you because everyone has, most everyone has a the superstore Petco in their area, P-E-T-C-E-O. Yep. All right. So picture Petco. Then picture a big, wet dog. All right, what kind of animal is it? It's a dog. Wet dog. And is it 
Is it dry or is it wet? It's wet. It's a wet right. dog. I don't All know right. why I'm picturing a wet dog, but I'm picturing a wet dog for you. All Go right. ahead. So this spells Wetco. W-E-T-C-O. All right. So if you are looking for an employee who's going to be good in a customer-facing role or be a good part of a customer-focused culture, they will have these five traits. Warmth, empathy, a bias towards teamwork, conscientiousness, and optimism. So warmth simply means they like other people. Got it. Empathy is a little more involved. It means being able to sense what someone else is probably feeling, even if they don't say it. Teamwork is a willingness to work with others. Conscientiousness is a broad psychological trait. Uh, it, it basically means detail-orientedness. And optimism, I basically mean what Marty Seligman calls an optimistic explanatory style. So let's go through this right away. So you have someone who is warm. warm. They like other people. Um, they're empathetic. So they're like, oh, hey, I like you. Em they're empathetic. I totally know how you feel. Uh, they're, they're pro team or so they're like, I'm going to, because I totally know how you feel. I'm totally going to get with my team and then we're going to find out a solution for you. And I'll call you back Thursday. However, they lack the conscientiousness. So they never write down and they never call back the customer um, on Thursday. So that's not good, right? So they need that as well. And finally, the last thing they need is the optimistic explanatory style because customers, unfortunately, they will sometimes bite your head off. You know, they can't yell at their partner. They hopefully don't yell at their kids. Uh, they certainly can't yell at their boss in most companies, so they yell at you. Now, if you're particularly a young person and this is your first job and someone yells at you, you might think, oh, my God, I did something terrible. I just, I just, I, um, I'm going to call in sick for the rest of the day. I'm going to go hide under the blanket. Uh, and never come into work again. But if, if you are, I shouldn't have said particularly young person, any person with a pessimistic explanatory style. But if you're a person with an optimistic explanatory style, you will hopefully say, well, you know what? Maybe I could have handled that call better. I will go over it with my manager. But I think she was having a bad day. I hope she feels better tomorrow. I'm going to dust myself off and get myself psyched up for the next call. So that's why an optimistic explanatory style is valuable as well. And I think that optimism often is one where your basic view of human nature is almost around what would it have taken for me to behave that way? Like trying to understand a backstory. Uh, they may not deserve that, right? Like they, they may just be that way, but you're trying to find a, a, a way to approach this that it's not so personal and it's more situational. That's what I like. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I, uh, I had a friend who, not a friend, Someone treated me really badly uh, some time ago, and then I found out that uh, they had some challenges uh, challenges in, in their family. And uh, I was like, so I, get, I cut him a whole ton of slack. And then my wife said, well, you know what? They still could just be a jerk. <laughs> yeah, like, oh. it, it's still possible. These don't mutually exclusive. All right, let, um, let me make sure I put the book back up. I haven't had the book up because it's way in the back now. I don't want them to miss it. Ignore your customers, what we're talking about. And they'll this, go away. Uh, 
Uh, and they, and they, thank you. You told me that was a cautionary tale is to not miss the part that if you ignore them, they'll go away. This book is not intended to try to make you ignore your customers. It's trying to prove the point that the customer is incredibly valuable. Um, I think it was Drucker who said, we're not in business to make a profit. We're in business to make a customer. It's through customers that profits come. Let's go to some other cool points of this book. And of course, Drucker never had to make a profit, which his wife took a lot of glee in pointing out. (laughs) All right. The power of wow. So I'm coming back on screen, removing the the rather big promotion I'm doing on your book and putting my big head in there instead. Uh, the power of wow. Uh, this is a topic you like to talk a lot about. Um, why wow? I love that question. Why wow? It's the simplest question I'll ask all day. Why wow? Wow. Well, uh, so in this book, I distinguish between two types of wow. Because most of the wow stories that we hear, and I'm as guilty of this as anyone else, are really, really big ones. Uh, they're that social influencer, I'm, I'm blanking on his name, who texted Morton's and said, I want eight ribeyes done just the way I like them and meet me at the airport. There's stories like that. And, it, and those are great. But I talk a lot in the book about what I call the power of everyday wow as well. And one of my and so I think that's very important as well. So why wow? Well, because as human beings, we tend to think in stories. So it's not the cold, hard data that really wins us over as customers, by and large. In fact, I've had people push back when I've done a webcast and say, you know, we are business to business and all of our stuff goes out to bid. So what is all this about you know, being nice to customers. We could be nice to customers all day, but then our stuff by law is required to be sent out to bid. And I said, I said, yeah, but riddle me this. In my experience, if you are fantastic to the customer and then it goes out to bid, don't you find that they make excuse? They, they will rationalize, even if you're a penny or two higher, they will rationalize the reasons that you should get the bid. And like eight people, maybe I was exaggerating, but multiple people came in on the chat and they said, yeah, that's exactly how it always ends up working. So I think that that's true. And of course there are exceptions. I mean, we have all the, you know, we have all these insurance sites online where all they do is compare prices. And so there are a lot of those challenges in the new marketplace, but I do think that we remember these stories of wow, but they don't always have to be enormous. They can be very small. I tell a story in the book of about an everyday wow, which uh, I got to oversee at Zappos. And guys, Zappos is not everything. Zappos is important because they have chosen to use customer service as marketing um, and then socialize the fact that they use the customer service as marketing. But there are these great stories in any company that works with customers this way. So the, the, what I saw was I was in their contact center and this uh, youngish, tattooed, wonderful, uh, wonderful agent named Madison was on the phone with an older, very straight-laced a woman who was calling in. And the fact that they're different generations and such plays into this story. That's why I'm mentioning it. Uh, different stories and different conversational style. She ca- The woman calls in and she's very uh, unhappy. I would even say dis- distraught, somewhere between distressed and distraught because she tried to pick out some 
shoes for I forget if it was her daughter's wedding or her her grand granddaughter's wedding or grandniece's wedding. And the ones she picked, she got them and they were very uncomfortable. And Madison immediately realized that the salient fact in this woman's story was that she has narrow feet. And it was just brilliant to listen. So Madison said, oh, narrows, narrows are the worst. I have an aunt with narrow feet and I swear, I'm not exaggerating. Every other conversation my aunt and I have are about the misery of having narrow feet. Aren't they the worst? It's almost like our whole shoe industry has conspired against people with narrow feet. So across geography, across generations, across conversational style, these two are besties right away. The woman could you know, relax. She finally had a friend in the shoe industry and they could co-browse and find a couple of pairs that Madison sent her um, for her to try on that had at least a fighting chance of both being dressy enough for a wedding and having a good chance of not being a torture fest when she was going to have to spend a large part of the day on her feet. So that's what this, I call a, a moment this, of everyday life. This is done by somebody who at least possesses, at minimum, two of the Wetco principles, right? I mean, the oh, warmth yeah, yeah, yeah. and the empathy. Um, yeah. And then clearly, we know at Zappos, it's a teamwork fest, and you know the conscientiousness. I'm sure of following up, and they may have written a handwritten note, and and clearly the just general hope for the human condition. So uh, awesome! So That's a great story of wow. I think every day, wow. So let me. Um... Can I throw in two elements there as well? And I'm sorry, I talked right over you, which is not a good thing to do with a customer. Can I'm, I? I'm mum. It's your show. I'm, I'm, I'm going to go elements. take my marbles over here. Go ahead. So, so two more elements, one of which I'm going to try to sell you guys uh, if you have the budget for it. I would encourage you to hire someone to do training. And one of the great ways to do training now, especially when we're all dispersed, um, is uh, – custom-built e-learning training because it works now and it also works in the future. You can build it into your onboarding and you don't have any coverage issues because people can do it, uh, can study asynchronously. So that's number one. So Madison was well-trained. Number two, something that we don't think about is once you have these promising employees or even some not so promising employees, the way to get them over the top is what I call positive peer pressure. So we think of peer pressure as being negative, right? My theory is there's only one teenager in the history of teenage, and I can't prove this, but there's only one teenager in the history of teenagers, it was probably Sir Walter Raleigh, <laughs> whoever um, cultivated tobacco, cured it in a barn, learned how to roll it, and smoked it. And then that teenager taught all the other ones through peer pressure, right? <laughs> wow. That's, until, Don, uh, until Don Draper got involved and told everyone that lucky strikes were good for your throat. So that's my theory. <laughs> so peer pressure is well, very often start somewhere. I, I believe mother's milk is the source of all addictions. I mean, clearly people had to start somewhere, right? Uh, <laughs> and, and in this case, they had to start their bad habits through peer pressure. Uh, and you're trying to suggest that they also can be moved to the direction of greater customer service through positive peer pressure. So what the heck Absolutely. does that so, really um, mean? So you're, you're a psychologist. And um, 
and a lot of people, a lot of these studies, this is off, off topic, but a lot of these studies of um, uh, rational emotive behavior and uh, therapy and stuff that work so well, and then you can't, and you know, and that's a good one, but, and then it's hard to recreate the study. What well, often they find that, well, it worked really well when you were in a tight little group that was reinforcing it. Well, it's kind of the same here. So Madison, I think, probably gets reinforcement from other people acting the same way. On the other hand, if she's in a culture where this kind of taking extra time with the customer, going a little over the top, is frowned on, it's not going to happen. Like, why, when you walk into an Apple store, um, do you get this great feeling? Well, I would say, number one, they hire people who are not only technically adept up to a point, they, and they also hire people who are excited about devices. But once you come to work there, you realize that the way to be here is to be someone who is excited about getting customers where they need to be, where they need to go, even if you don't make a sale. So you walk in there and you get that feeling. On the other hand, you go to other places and everyone's a little like Eeyore. It's not because they're all Eeyore-ish people. It's because that's kind of the ethos, right? They're all part of the ain't it awful crowd. So that's so training. So this is, is my this is my this is what? my least successful book probably in terms of people even associate with me. But I wrote it with Johnny Yokoyama, the the owner, the prior owner of the Pie Place Fish Market in Seattle, and their oh, whole yeah, philosophy. Yeah. The whole philosophy the was purple. simply yeah, yeah. commit it, be it, coach it. Right. And the nice. whole thing was I commit to be who am I going to be today when I show up to work? I'm going to be a person who creates world famous customer experiences, you know, treats people like they're world famous. And that's my peers and that's my my customers. But then he goes on to say, I, I commit to that and I do that publicly. And then, you know, I have to be it. And if I'm not being it, I have to coach other people if they're not being it and they have to coach me if I'm not being. I just I think it's your it's your peer pressure in action. It's kind of the the codifying it. And I think it's brilliant because I don't hear much about positive peer pressure. That's like a whole new concept in our field. So uh, let me write that down. And my name is Micah Solomon. And that's my idea. Um, I stole it from a woman named Deborah Rosen something or other who wrote a book about it. Okay. Well, I'll have to look for that book, but you know, it's Micah's now, and then I'll, I'll change the word or two in it and it'll, I'll try to make it my own, but, um, you know, recruiting, selecting and nurturing comes back to that same story and Zappos does that well. All right. I don't want to take too much more time. You already kind of teased up where you're going to go in the future, uh, here. Let's talk about your business today. People can just, let me pop myself out of the screen again so we can keep this about the book. Um, you're going to you find, extra you're going to find this book right there. Uh, it's available on his website. I can get the, uh, the banner that's up there gone, yeah, and put that banner on. Uh, so you can go to his website, find out all about the book. Hey, you're still doing a really decent thing, giving away like three chapters of the book, I think. Um, uh, gives people just a real good feel for the book and then they can buy all those other chapters with all that other rich information in it. So head over to the there. We know that if you buy tons of whatever that's defined by, um, you will get him to uh, participate in your book club. Well, there's me fighting with your book. There I go. I'll just put myself right there. Um, so it's really, I think, just an exciting thing. Besides the book, though, in two minutes, tell me, tell me, tell me, what will people find when they go to the to micasolomon.com? What action steps can they take? How can they turn their business around when it comes to customer experience, Micah? 
Well, what I do with a company is all stuff you could do yourself. Uh, if you buy my book, <laughs> no, it's all, it's all, I mean, let me tell you what I do with it with a company. I will often do an informal mystery shopping before people have become, uh, before people have been introduced to me. So, and this is the part that irritates my friends rather a bit, because if I'm working with a high-end hotel, I actually am obligated to get a massage and a facial and so forth uh, for research purposes, of course. Now, I'm not studying the quality of the massage. I'm studying the customer service around it. So I'll do oh, some, what you uh, will do for what will you do for the good of the profession? Thank you, Micah. All right. I tell so you, you endure the massage to understand the service delivery platform. I get it. Go ahead. Exactly. There's some things I, uh, yeah, there's some things I won't do though, Joseph. I don't, I don't ever want to, um, be yelling Kelly Clarkson in great pain. So there's some things, <laughs> there's some things I won't do in a spa, even for, uh, even for money. Uh, the, the, uh, then uh, I create a training program and I will help them, of course, what we're talking about uh, on the selection side as well. But I think the training is extremely important. I will work on uh, bedrock customer service standards and also nuts and bolts customer standards as far as digital interaction standards, telephone standards, in-person standards. Then we'll come up with a sustainment program for how to keep this alive. I'll probably create 12 like trailer length videos so they can watch one every month and also a text based curriculum. So uh, employees can lead training. Once Mr. Solomon has left the auditorium, it will keep living on long, hopefully after I am gone. So that's what I do. I work with companies to do this and that's what I love doing the most, but you can do right, this yourself. So let's get to you obviously you can't, you can't mystery shop your own company very, well, but the rest of the stuff you can do. I mean, you can. You can do it on the phone. Use a Darth Vader kind of uh, vocoder. Oh, yes, I am not the boss. I really am not the boss. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I am your father. Uh, okay, so back to the closing of this. <laughs> Go to MicahSolomon.com. Check out the website. He is the number one turnaround expert. I don't care how limited the exposure was for Forbes, it's still true. Uh, all right, enough of that. Let me ask you a couple of quick questions in the lightning round, two minutes worth. Here we go. So uh, tell me uh, about the Berkeley School of Music and how a guy from Berkeley School of Music turns out to be a customer experience expert. So I play piano, I write songs. Um, I think I sing, that's up for debate. If you think Randy Newman can sing, then you probably think I can <laughs> sing. If, if you don't, then you don't, then I don't. Uh, the, uh, so, so uh, I'm a musician. Then I started a recording studio. Then I went to Brown University because uh, my dad cried when I told him I didn't want to finish college. And by the way, dad's out there. That works really well. So then I went to you know real school, but I was still was planning to be a rock star. I realized I couldn't apply for jobs as a rock star. So I opened a recording studio. Uh, that was successful. Then it turned into a, this sounds very quaint now, but a CD and DVD manufacturing company. I always, always distinguishing us was not how round our discs were. They were never to quote the talking heads. They were never 365 degrees. They were always 360 degrees like everyone else's. So what distinguished us was our customer experience. So then I started writing about customer service, the customer experience. 
And uh, then I started speaking on it and consulting on it. So I guess that's one more I... questions in the lightning round. You can choose whichever of these you'd like to talk about. I have words like Vandy, Ari, and Bainbridge Island, whichever you want to talk about, but you only have 30 seconds. So go. Bainbridge Island is where I live. It is a 35 minute ferry ride from Seattle, though I'd say not too many of us have been taking the ferry since COVID, but we're all looking forward to doing it now. I can wave uh, to Starbucks. I can wave to, I mean, I know everyone can, but I can wave to the actual Starbucks headquarters. I can wave to the Space Needle, though they can't see see me probably and wave back. We have bald right. eagles that we see. I'm right on time, and so that's it. We gotta go. I'm gonna wave to you, Micah Solomon. I'm gonna have people wave to you by actually visiting your site. Um, the book is Ignore Your Customers and, what, they'll, they'll, they'll be your customers for life? No, that's not it. Uh, ignore your customers and they'll go away, right? So uh, great book, go and pick it up right now. Check out Micah's website, thank you so much. Get on with your life. I've got a bunch of stuff coming up. Bye to, to Micah, and for the rest of you joining us in the weeks ahead, we are going to be, oh, I can take Micah's banner off there, I guess, uh, for right now. So let me just get that. Uh, so, you know, his website, micahsolomon.com. We will just tell you about who's coming up. Chris Racinos, she was a head nurse at a major hospital in Los Angeles, and she was on the front lines of a COVID unit. We're going to talk to her about resilience uh, and coping skills. Rebecca Heiss, a book called Instinct. She's a biologist, going to talk to us about how we use our natural biologies to our advantage, not let some of those underlying voices uh, get in the way of our productivity. Sarah Michelle, oh, Sarah Michelle got me involved in speaking in, as a career. She's one of my favorite people in the planet. I love her company name. It's called Velvet Chainsaw. Other than being my buddy and an incredible speaker, she produces content for organizations, helps organizations have incredible successful events. We'll talk to her about the events industry and how to create content that's compelling and engaging. Thanks so much for being a part of it today. I am Joseph Michelli. I am honored to have you here. If you find value in this, share it with somebody. In addition to uh, sharing with this with somebody, please think about uh, possibly you know, signing up on YouTube as somebody who follows the channel on YouTube. We can use that. Uh, I just did a new ebook, which is based on uh, my book, uh, The Stronger Through Adversity, which I just released this year, I guess the end of 2020. Um, so check out my new uh, ebook there, completely free, complimentary, uh, and join our newsletter list. We look forward to having you along for the ride and have a fabulous week. Look forward to seeing you next week with Chris Racinos as our guest talking about resilience. <music>